You're listening to Adam and Eve, your feminist radio show on CJSR 88.5 FM and around the world on CJSR.com. My name is Marco Visconti. I'm Rosiva Forks Jenkins. I'm Sky Hindman. And I'm Marie Fontaine, and we will be your hosts for this evening. Thanks for tuning in. The theme for today's show is the power of protest. That's right. And later in the show, we're going to listen to an interview I did with the organizers of the Edmonton chapter of the Solidarity March on the Women's March on Washington. First, we thought it would be interesting to go back in history and talk about some other marches and protests that had an impact on the world. Hi everyone, I wanted to send in two stories I found. Both feature a white wedding style of protest, and one went really well, while the other did not so good. Let's start with the frustrating news. Back in the spring of 2015, a group of five women were detained in China for quote-unquote disturbing the peace. They had become known as activists through their guerrilla-style protests, one in which they wore wedding dresses dashed with red paint in a statement against violence against women and domestic violence. They were planning another protest for the 2015 International Women's Day, but police arrested and detained 10 protesters. Five were released early on, but five were kept for over a month. I'm going to try my best with their names, and I really apologize for mispronunciation. The five women detained were Li Tingting, Wang Man, Wei Tingting, Wu Rongrong, and Zhang Chiran. These women have become known as the Feminist Five. Eventually, they were released, but only conditionally. Their activities were still being restricted, and charges could still be brought against them. Almost a full year later, nothing had changed for the Feminist Five. An article on ChinaChange.org, posted on March 3rd of 2016, read, quote, The Feminist Five remains under coercive measure of release on bail pending additional investigation, and the Hayden District Police have not withdrawn this case in accordance with the law. I was unable to find any further updates on where things stood for these courageous women. I wasn't able to find any further updates on where things stood for these courageous women. But please, if you're doing your own research and you find out more information, be sure to share it with us on Facebook. I did find it a little disheartening to learn about the very high cost women in China pay just to speak out. But as promised, we do have a good news story, and this one comes out of Lebanon. Just this last December in 2016, a group of women donned red-splashed wedding dresses to protest a terrifying 70-year-old law in which rape could be forgiven if the perpetrator married their victim. Protesters wore the wedding dresses outside of the government building in downtown Beirut, to demand the repeal of this awful, awful law. And they won. The law is to be abolished, and the committee is currently working to draft a new law. They will also be looking at other laws related to honor violations, in which the penal code was more lenient for crimes committed in the name of family honor. The goal is to add penalties and enforce stricter punishments. So not only did they succeed in repealing specific law that they were protesting, but they also inspired their government to look at other laws which undermined the rights of women. The march that I chose is the Women's Day March that took place in Pretoria, South Africa, on August 9th of 1956. 
In this time period, South Africa was a very divided nation, and the march was protesting the unfair treatment of women of color. Segregation was enforced by law, and women of color were forced to carry passes, which restricted their freedom of movement, as well as their opportunities for employment. The Federation of South African Women united to protest these laws. The day of protest was called for on a Thursday, the traditional day when black domestic workers had their day off, with the aims of ensuring a larger gathering of women. Many of the African women wore traditional dress. Others wore the Congress colors, green, black, and gold. Indian women were clothed in white saris. Many women had babies on their backs, and some domestic workers brought their white employer's children along with them. The women marched silently for half an hour, and then began to sing a song of women's unity that goes, When you strike a woman, you strike a rock. These are the words that can be heard in 11 different languages when a person climbs the steps to the monument of women of South Africa today. This protest was successful in its numbers, its effectiveness in enacting change, as well as its lasting legacy. What I think is amazing about this march is the fact that these laws were intent on creating a society that was divided, but instead women of all intersecting layers of oppression united together to protest the subjugation. I did the annual Women's Memorial March, which originated in Vancouver in 1991. It was initiated by women in the community of Vancouver's downtown east side, the Coast Salish Territories. It was an expression of grief and anger over the murder of a woman on Powell Street in January of that year. The event is organized and led by the women in the community, mostly indigenous women, who encounter unspeakable violence, emotional and physical, in their histories, communities, and everyday lives. The ceremony of respect and remembrance happens annually in Vancouver, Edmonton, and Calgary on Valentine's Day. Okay, I'm going to talk about Take Back the Night. Possibly has its roots in the late 1800s, when women in England were protesting violence perpetrated by the likes of Jack the Ripper, which had women all over London fearing for their lives. Take Back the Night movement today that we know of started in the mid-1970s in Belgium, where women were gathering to take part in the International Tribunal on Crimes Against Women. Since then, Take Back the Night has spread across the world. It's a network of events held in countries throughout the world every year, brings together women in communities who have experienced sexual violence, abuse, harassment, stalking, anything like that. It invites men and women to take up a space that is often not safe to inhabit, public space at nighttime. It seeks to put an end to sexual violence in all its forms and creates awareness, provides a forum for discussion and solidarity and empowerment. Most sexual violence doesn't happen between strangers. It happens with people we know, and it doesn't always happen at night down dark, deserted streets. It happens everywhere, in parks, on campuses, in buses, trains, in homes, schools, in broad daylight, sometimes with people around who could do something to stop it from happening, but don't. I looked into the Women of Liberia Mass Action for Peace, which was a campaign led by Liberian women in 2003 that ended the second Liberian Civil War. Um, but between the years of 1989 and 2003, uh, Liberia actually went through two civil wars. Uh, the first one lasted from 1989 to 1996, and the second one went from 1999 to, to 2003. So that was about 13 years of nearly continuous uh, armed conflict between 
um, a government that had been put in place by a military coup and a bunch of rebel forces that um, had their power taken away. And uh, on April 1st, 2003, uh, a group called the Women of Liberia Mass Action for Peace staged their first protest. They were a coalition of Christian and Muslim women uh, who formed under the leadership of a social worker named Lemag Bowie. And for a week, they gathered in the fish market in Monrovia, the capital of Liberia. They dressed in all white, and they sat, danced, and sang for peace, holding up banners that read, The women of Liberia want peace now. And they used the radio to spread the word and, and encouraged more women to speak out about peace. And they even declared a sex strike, uh, where they agreed to withhold sex from their partners until the armed conflict was over. And I didn't know this, but this is an idea that comes from a Greek comedy, Lysistrata, by Aristo Aristophanes, where women, the women in that play also uh, go on a sex strike to end a war. But the idea behind it was to sort of point out the fact that men were the main perpetrators of all the violence that had been going on. And after a week of protesting, uh, they held uh, a march and they, they presented a, a position statement to their president that said the women of Liberia say peace is our goal, peace is what matters, peace is what we need. And from what I read, there was only ever maybe a thousand of them, but they actually convinced their president to attend peace talks. And after that, they also went on to convince the rebel warlords to also attend peace talks. They found out that they were these warlords were gathering in Sierra Leone in a town called Freetown. And so a, group, a small number of them traveled to Freetown and staged a sit-in at the hotel where the rebels were gathered. And they refused to leave until they were allowed to speak with these leaders of the rebel forces. And with all the mounting media attention, they were successful once again. And the rebels also agreed to attend peace talks. And all this sort of happened within the span of a few months, uh, starting in April 2003, and obviously peace wasn't achieved right away. But a long story short, uh, an official end to the Second Civil War in Liberia was eventually reached in August of 2003, and the peace that was achieved was largely because of the initiative shown by the women of Liberia. And the next two years after the end of the Civil War, uh, the women of Liberia mass action for peace remained active in the political scene they registered voters and set up polling stations in anticipation for the following elections and on november 23rd 2005 uh, after years of dictatorship the liberian people elected ellen johnson sirleaf who became the first woman in liberia to be elected president and only after the results of that election did they officially conclude their campaign and their public protests ceased um, but for having put an end to a long and bloody civil war, they were never forgotten. And in fact, the woman who founded the campaign in the first place, Lemag Bowie, she was awarded with a Nobel Peace Prize in 2011 for her work in leading a women's, a women's peace movement. Um, and I just kind of wanted to end with a line from her lecture that she gave on December 10th, 2011, when she accepted her award. To the women of Liberia and sisterhood across West Africa who continue to band together to respond to crisis in our subregion, to women in Asia, the Middle East, and the world, we must continue to unite in sisterhood to turn our tears into triumph, our despair into determination, and our fear into fortitude. 
There is no time to rest until our world achieves wholeness and balance, where all men and women are considered equal and free. I thought that was a very powerful quote. Definitely a good way to end what we were just talking mm-hmm. about. I mean, it made me think, too, of Lady Godiva. She, I think maybe she was the first woman to protest. She was angry with her husband, who was the king, and he said, well, I'm not changing anything unless you go naked through the streets on a horse. So she did. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, apparently, you know, it was injustice that mm-hmm. makes people protest, right? I mean, if we think about women, it started with the suffragettes. It went on to bra burning in the 1970s and, and all, of the, all the different kind of protests that we've been talking about. Well, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Adam and Eve on CJSR, and it's now time to get to today's interview with Paula Kerman and Michelle Brewer, two of the organizers of Edmonton's Solidarity March with the Women's March on Washington. If you haven't heard about the Women's March on Washington, it was an initiative incidentally sparked by a Facebook post made by Teresa Shook, a retired attorney living in Hawaii, in November 2016, where she she suggested marching in protest of the treatment of marginalized peoples and their rights in the recent election cycle in the USA. That one Facebook post soon went viral and has consolidated as the Women's March on Washington. On January 21st, the day after Donald Trump's presidential inauguration, protesters will march starting from the intersection of Independence Ave and 3rd Street Southwest in Washington, D.C. Many other marches will be held in other cities around the world in solidarity with the Women's March on Washington, including right here in Edmonton, Alberta. To learn more about Edmonton's Solidarity March, Rosiva spoke with two of the organizers, Paula Kerman and Michelle Brewer. Let's take a listen. My name is Rosiva. Would you care to introduce yourselves? My name is Paula Kerman. And my name is Michelle Brewer, and we're both co-organizers of the march. And we're missing Allison Post, who is our third co-organizer. So where and when will the march be held? It will be held on Saturday, the 21st of January at 1 p.m. on the north steps of the Alberta Legislature building. Wonderful. So that's kind of a gathering point. And then are you planning on um, doing any movement from there or staying in one central location? We're mostly going to be staying in that location. We've got a really diverse lineup of speakers and performers. And then we're going to be doing just a short solidarity walk around the fountain area. Okay, lovely. Do you care to tell, um, elaborate on the speakers and performers that you have so far? Sure. Uh, we have five speakers. Our main keynote speaker is MLA Sandra Jansen. Then we have Marnie Panas, uh, Roxanne Blood, Rhea Cash Walters. Uh, we have Nazra Adem, who is the Youth Poet Laureate, and the Raging Grannies. And then we have one more speaker. Nikita Valerio. Thank you. Nikita Valerio. A lot of people will know Nikita because she's one of the, uh, she's a Muslim woman and she's one of the women who handed out flowers in the LRT station to women wearing the hijabs after the um, allegedly Islamophobic incident a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And um, how did you choose the speakers that are attending? 
I think that we brainstormed together people we thought would be a good fit with our message. And uh, Paula reached out to Sandra, which really set things forward for us. And then I think we just brainstormed strong women and representative women in our community. We wanted to really be as diverse as possible while at the same time bearing in mind the fact it is an outdoor event in Edmonton in January. So we wanted to keep it a fairly short but very tight program. But at the same time, it's very diverse in terms of ages, uh, walks of life, ethnicity, culture, religion. Um, we've got LGBTQ in there. Uh, it, it's quite quite a diverse program we've planned. I don't think you could get a better program. So what is the march specifically about? Could you elaborate on that? The march is joining approximately 10 other similar events across Canada, um, over 150 events in the United States and then another 55 around the world in solidarity with the actual Women's March on Washington, which is also taking place on January 21st, uh, which is the day after Donald Trump's inauguration as the next president of the United States. And we're saying this isn't a specifically anti-Trump event, however. It's it's a nonpartisan event to encourage a society of equity, diversity, to be... Uh, to support each other for women's rights because women's rights are human rights. Yeah, I think it's also our last tag word is inclusivity. So diversity, equality, inclusivity. If you believe that women's rights are human rights, then this is the march for you. And in fact, I read today that Amnesty International Canada signed on to it specifically because of the belief that women's rights are human rights. And Amnesty International U.S. was already a sponsor of the United States events. And yeah, we just found out today that Amnesty International Canada has signed on to the Canadian ones. So that's pretty exciting. Wonderful. And what inspired you um, personally to um, organize a march in Edmonton? I was in the U.S. for the election, uh, very excited and optimistic that Hillary Clinton would win. And I was in California where that was a really democratic state. So I could feel the disappointment of my own and other people's. And all the people around me were talking about the possibility of a march, and I felt strongly that that would happen. So even before I left the States, I was in contact with the committee in that was just forming then in Canada about an Edmonton march. I heard about the march through a friend of mine who uh, thought, you know, it would be so great if, uh, I mean, it would be so great if we could all just go down to Washington and take part, but it would be so great if... In Edmonton, there could be something, you know, did, did I know anyone organizing anything? So I got online and I saw that there was a national uh, body that was overseeing the individual events in the in the different cities across the country. And they said, well, if, if you're interested, here's where to contact us. And I did. And they put me into contact with Michelle and Allison and kind of took it from there. What are the goals of this march? I would say the goals are just having an opportunity to stand tall on topics that are important to all women and all people in a really public and way and in a way that promotes solidarity. I think that the goals are to, to showcase the fact that women's rights are human rights, that we need to get away from language and rhetoric that is racist or homophobic or Islamophobic or uh, derogatory in any way. We need to learn how to disagree with each other respectfully and, and have good dialogues 
because of that and to just work towards becoming a more inclusive and equitable society. So what does this march mean for Canadians? Because, yeah, it is, like you said, the day after Donald Trump's inauguration. Uh, Speaking for myself, I feel like there are two main reasons. One, uh, we support our neighbors and they are our neighbors. So I have empathy for what might be the environment that women are in in the U.S. But by the same token, I think that there are parallels between Canadian and U.S. society. And there has been a lot that has gone on in Canada and especially Alberta. When we think of female politicians, if you're an Albertan female politician right now, it's not a friendly environment for you. So this march is one of standing in support of our sisters in the U.S., but it's standing in support of our women here in Alberta and here in Canada, especially women who take leadership or put themselves out there to know that uh, our society believes in them and we have their back. I, I, I agree that for me that's one of the motivating factors of this as well, that there are some very specifically Canadian and specifically Albertan reasons to take part in this, particularly the barrage of, of hatred that's been uh, been thrust forward towards uh, female politicians, particularly uh, Rachel Notley, Premier Notley, and her, the female members of the caucus, but also uh, Sandra Jansen, who is our, our keynote speaker, who in, encountered this in, in her own party while trying to run for leadership of the progressive conservatives. So it's not just an NDP thing, it's all across the board, and it's uh, affecting women in politics all across the board, and, and something needs to be done about that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of just wondering why um, these two issues were kind of grouped together and why there wasn't a separate march maybe for specifically Albertan politicians. I myself am planning a separate event uh, in some ways to support um, or bring attention to the situation of women, politics and power. But I think that Paula was saying earlier that this Trump situation and the march coming out of it is giving us all an occasion to maybe one, stand in solidarity, but two, look in our own situations and say, what what then, if that's the situation here, but what's our own situation and how can we use the occasion of women's solidarity and solidarity for women to bring attention to the issues at home as well? Yeah, we, we have more power and more ability to get the message out when it is associated with such a huge a monumental event that's going to be taking place. So um, that's why it's not an American thing. I think it's a it's a human thing, and it's taking part in in it's happening in uh, other countries around the world as well. So I think that every I think every city every place has its own unique reasons for wanting to take part. And if I could add one thing, it's getting media coverage. So it's a great platform if we have a cause to use that for our cause. And um, do you think marches are effective for affecting change? Well, as Michelle just mentioned, they're certainly effective in terms of getting media attention. And maybe they're not as effective in terms of changing things overnight or making like a, a huge sweeping change as fast as people would like to see it. But it certainly does get media attention and keep the issues in the spotlight. And that's the important thing is keeping people talking about about these issues and and working towards that change. Um, just to build on Paula, I think it starts a conversation and that's conversations that are really important to have happen. Do you think that people still take political protests seriously in this day and age? I, I think they do because they keep happening. So And they happen on all ends of the spectrum. And we're seeing that now. Uh, 
where you know once before, you know prior to the 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 NDP government getting elected being out almost every <laughs> every other day in all weather protesting something or other and now we see uh, people on the other side of the political spectrum protesting bills and po- protesting things that the government is is bringing into legislation. So it obviously is something that people find effective and, and do take seriously. Any other advice you'd give to people who would be interested in attending the protest? I think the main question I've been asked is if men can come, and the answer is absolutely. The event is open to anyone who believes that women's rights are human rights. I would say think of the things that you believe in and what would you do if they were threatened and why wait until those things are threatened. Like if you can have some empathy for this cause, uh, use this as an opportunity to help stand in solidarity with us and for the things you believe in for yourself. And where can people learn more about the event? We have a Facebook event page that you can find just by searching uh, Women's March on Washington Edmonton. Uh, We are on Twitter at Yeg Solidarity, I believe. Yeah. And we're on Instagram as well as Yeg Solidarity. It's either Yeg Solidarity or Yeg Solidarity March. And if anyone would like to get in touch with us for further questions, you can reach us at Yeg Solidarity March at gmail.com. Okay, wonderful. Anything else you'd like to add? We'd like to see you out there. Welcome back to Adam and Eve on CJSR. We just finished listening to an interview with Paula Kerman and Michelle Brewer, two of the organizers of Edmonton's March in solidarity with the Women's March on Washington. And that's it for today's show. Thanks for tuning in. For more information on our program or to send us any feedback, please look for Adam and Eve on Facebook and Twitter. We're always looking for more volunteers to help out, so if you're interested in learning any aspect of radio production, just get in touch. We produce this week's show in the studios of CJSR FM 88.5 on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Adam and Eve is a spoken word project of CJSR FM 88.5 in Edmonton, Alberta, and our journalism is funded by you, the listeners. And in the spirit of all the great protests we talked about today, we leave you now with the song Reek and Veach by Hooray for the Riff Raff. So long for now. <laughs>